0: It's great to be together. It's great to be in a new series. It's great to have the letter of Galatians before us. And uh, it was good to have Dave Schrader here last week from North Africa, kicking off this series called The Rescue. So let's look at the text today, Galatians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3 and ending in 12. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to deliver us or to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation. Of Christ Jesus in 1960 in Dublin Ireland a man was born whose name was Paul David Hewson but you don't know him by that name somebody said you know when you're really arrived at fame when you're known by one name like Ali or Tiger or Gandhi And so it is with this man. His name is Bono. Do you know of Bono? If you do, you're one of a billion people on the planet. Said that he's known by over a billion people. And yet there's one guy that didn't know him at all until just a few years ago. This man was teaching a Sunday school class in the early 1990s in Bel Air, Maryland. He's teaching the book of Galatians. And he said, when I looked around and as the students that I taught, I noticed that they seemed to be more interested in how much sugar was in their coffee than what Paul was saying to the Galatians. And so I decided to do what J.B. Phillips did for me when I was a young boy. He wrote a paraphrase. So I decided to write a paraphrase of Paul's letter to the Galatians so that they might be able to read it and understand it and get stoked about what Paul is saying. Well, in about three more years, he finished the entire New Testament. In nine more years, he finished the entire Bible. And this is where Bono comes in. turns out that Bono and you two read the message from Eugene Peterson, having sold over 17 million copies before every performance. Peterson said, before a few years ago I would never heard of Bono and then one day a student came into my class he teaches has taught at Regent University in Vancouver with a copy of Rolling Stone and in there was an article on Bono and Bono said before the group and I ever take the stage, we always read a few psalms from the message. And the reason is that although I've read a lot of other Bibles, there's no Bible that speaks to me like the message. Now think of that. An inattentive Sunday school class leads Eugene Peterson to write a paraphrase of Galatians And then he's so interested, he writes all of the New Testament, and then he's real interested and writes the entire Bible in paraphrase. And God uses that paraphrase to get hold of the heart of Bono and his entire band. All started with Galatians. You know, that's not at all unusual. 500 years ago next year, Martin Luther began to read the letter to the Galatians. And you know what happened? (laughs) The Reformation happened. As a result of his reading Galatians, he wrote those 95 theses and he nailed them to his Wittenberg church door. The Reformation began. And then he wrote a commentary And nine years after the Reformation began, the commentary of Luther on Paul's letter to the Galatians came out. And in his preface, he says this, I can hardly believe that I was as verbose as I was. But I have to admit, I could have said more. At the heart of this letter is the doctrine of justification by faith in Christ. It is this doctrine that possesses my theological thinking, flowing day and night, back and forth, I can't get away from it. For in that one doctrine, we find that we are redeemed from sin, redeemed from death, redeemed from the devil, and made partakers of eternal life. Not by ourselves. Not by any help of us but by the help of another, the only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know what the Lord did with that commentary? 200 years later, there were a group of men in New England that they were praying that God would show up in their lives in a powerful way. And one night, a man got a hot copy of the commentary of Luther on the book of Galatians. And he read the preface. And he said, as I read the preface, there came a power over me that I cannot well describe. My great burden fell off. My heart was so filled with love and peace that I burst into tears. I almost thought I saw the Savior. My companions seeing me were so affected, they fell to their knees and prayed. And afterwards, when I went out into the street, I scarcely thought that I could feel the ground on which I walked. You know what he did? He took that preface and he went door to door reading it to people. And the third person he read it to was a guy by the name of John Wesley. And when he heard it, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Now that's just the preface. (laughs) It's just the preface to a commentary on this letter. I mean, think of the power of that. And it begs the question, why would there be such power on this letter of Paul to the Galatians? And the answer is simple and plain. It is the unadulterated gospel of Jesus Christ. Did you know that every time the Holy Spirit is at work, there's a recapturing of the gospel? Every time you come to a place of repentance in your life, it's because you're coming face to face with the truth of the gospel. The Holy Spirit does nothing where the gospel is not recaptured. I mean, look how how Paul begins this letter. Now, we didn't start in verse 1. That was last week, but remember how he starts it. Paul, an apostle, not by man. There's no greeting. Normally, he's had a number of sentences of greeting, a salutation. There's no salutation here. Why? Because he's hot. He is ticked off. Why is he ticked off? Because he can't stand the thought that the Galatians are losing touch with the gospel. Now, remember who these people are they're Christians. They've heard the gospel. They've they've embraced it. They've been baptized. They've become members of the body of Christ. And yet they're losing touch with the gospel. How? By by focusing on themselves. That's what happened in Luther's day. That's what happened in Wesley's day. That's what happened in Peterson's day. And that's what happens today. You know why? Why? because if you ever come to think that you've got the gospel down you don't if you ever come to the conclusion that you understand the gospel you don't the truth is if you can honestly say I don't think I really know much about the gospel I hardly understand it at all you're finally getting it remember what Dave Schrader said last week If you want to grow in your faith, if you want to gain victory over sin, if you want your heart to be conformed to Christ, there's only one thing that will do it, and that's the gospel. It's not the law. It's the gospel. If you want to change, there's only one thing that will do it, and that's the gospel. Listen to what Luther says. Listen to what he says. Paul's letter to the Galatians is my epistle. To it I am wed. Galatians is my Catherine. Do you know who Catherine was? His wife. It's my epistle. It is the one letter of the New Testament to which I'm wed. It is my wife. You say, how can he say that? Because he understood it a little bit like Paul? He understood that what you and I need every day of our life is the gospel. The only thing that will get us home, the only thing that will change us, the only thing that will conform us to the image of Jesus is the gospel. So let's dig in. First of all, notice the place of the gospel. Look at verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Jesus Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel. Now, unlike any other letter he writes, he writes this to a group of churches. And unlike every other letter he writes, there's only one issue that he addresses, the only issue that matters to him, the only issue that is the primary issue of every church, and that is the abandonment of the gospel. Look how he begins. Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man. Somebody said, you'll never find change in a person's life unless they know when to say no. Unless they're willing to say no to what is false. Now, look what Paul is saying no to. He's saying no to the commonly held belief that your progress in the faith and your standing with God is determined by you. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard people say, including me, I don't feel much like a Christian. I can't be a Christian if I did that. I look at my motives and they're so unbiblical. My efforts are so weak. You know what Paul would say? That is false. What is true is, your apprehension of the Gospel is what matters. And your apprehension of the gospel doesn't start with your feelings or your efforts or your works. It's the work of another. Second, notice the prompting. Look at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor from man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Now, you know what the word apostle means? One who is sent. And in the New Testament, there are two kinds of apostles. There are those who are sent by men, commissioned by men to go and start churches or to renew churches. And there are people like Titus and Barnabas who are apostles, but they're sent and commissioned by men. That's one kind of apostle. But in the New Testament, there are several others who are named that are different than that. They're not commissioned by men. They're not sent by men. They're sent and commissioned by God like Paul. I mean, think of Paul's life. Jesus knocks him off a horse. Jesus blinds him for three days. Then Jesus heals him. Then Jesus leads him into the wilderness of Arabia for three years where Jesus teaches him. And at the end of chapter 1, he talks all about that. So what's all that have to do with the Galatians? Everything. You see, what Paul is saying to them is, when I spoke the gospel to you, it wasn't for me. When I told you the gospel, it wasn't because somebody had told me to tell you. When you received it, it was not from me or any other man. It was from Jesus Christ who gave it to me for you. When you received it, it wasn't your doing. It was His doing. He was the one who revealed it to you. Now, I date myself with this illustration. I'm sure I do. Because I know that more than half of you in this room had never probably even heard this song, maybe. In 1985, Whitney Houston sang a song that went platinum. How will I know? I think I'll sing you a few bars. No, I won't. (laughs) How will I know? She's talking about how will she ever know that her boyfriend loves her? And when she asked that question, not about her boyfriend, but that question, how will I know? She's asking a question that philosophers have asked for a thousand years. Now, I know Whitney Houston probably didn't think when she was singing that song that she was talking about epistemology. Epistemi means knowing. So how is it that we know anything? That's the study of epistemology. How do I know anything? And Paul and every other major thinker has said there are three basic ways to know. The first way to know is tradition. It's what you learn in school. It's what you learn from your parents. It's what you learn from your social milieu. It's what you learn from the culture. It's the product of reading. It's the product of listening. It's the product of of empirical research. Like, drive the car too fast around a curve, you fly off. that's empirical. I mean, a lot of what we know, we know from trial and error, and a lot of error. That is traditional method of knowledge. But that's not how we learn the Gospel, Paul says. Second, there is what's called inductive learning. That's what we learn from our gut. It's what, what our emotions tell us, our conscience It's Jiminy Cricket. (laughs) It's Donald Trump a lot of times. My gut tells me. (laughs) And you know, that is a way to know. Sometimes it's wrong, but sometimes it's right. But Paul says, it's not. You don't learn the gospel that way. You don't learn the gospel from traditional methods. You don't learn it from inductive. There is one other way to know. A third way to know that's essential, for no one can know the gospel but through this method, and that's revelation. Why do you think Jesus said so often, those who have ears, let them hear? They all had physical ears, but what he's saying is, can you hear me? Do you understand? Do you know what I'm saying to you? Because if you do, it's only because my Father, through the Holy Spirit, has revealed this to you. Look what Paul's saying. The way I learn the gospel is exactly the same way you learn the gospel. Not from men, not from you, but from him. Third, notice the power of the gospel. Look at verses 3 to 5. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now think of this. In three verses, you have the gospel in miniature. The rest of his letter is going to be a, an elucidation, a, a commentary on what he's just said here. This is the entire gospel. And what is at the heart of the gospel? Let's read it again. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. What's at the heart of that gospel? Jesus. It's all Jesus doing. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Now think of it. Every other religion says you've got to rescue yourself. Every other religion says you have to do certain things in order to find favor with God. Every other religion says you have to do something. But you know what Christianity says? It's impossible. Have you ever thought about that? The only religion in the world that is as pessimistic about you is Christianity. Christianity says there's nothing you can do. Paul says we must have a rescuer. We don't need a manual. We don't need a certain aura. We need a rescuer. A rescuer who comes and dies. He gave himself for our sins. The word for literally means on behalf of. So think of what Paul is saying. On behalf of your sin, God the Father willed that His Son come and do for you what you couldn't do for yourself. What do you offer to that deal? One of the greatest professors at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary in the last hundred years was John Gershner. You know what John Gershner used to say? All you need is need. All you need is need. Do, 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 All you need is nothing. All you need is nothing. And yet we try to add. All the time. Remember the father that came to Jesus with a demonic, the demon-possessed son? He comes to Jesus and his son is foaming at the mouth. And Jesus says to the man, all things are possible to one who believes. Remember what the man cries out? I believe, help my unbelief. Meaning what? Jesus, I got nothing. I got nothing. Help my unbelief. And know what Jesus does? He heals his son. What's that mean? That means all you need is need. All you need to offer Him is nothing because He's powerful enough to do it all Himself. Then fourth and finally, notice the product. Look at verse 7. Not that there's another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. How? How do they distort the gospel? By saying they need more than need there are those who say that they have to add and that's the default position of every person in this room we all believe we have to add you know what people do with this letter they say he's just talking about conversion when he talks about being rescued he's just talking about once the regeneration regeneration If that were true, why then does he say all through this letter, why does he talk about the rescue? He's not just talking about rescued once. He's talking about repeated rescue. Paul knows we need the gospel and we need rescue every day. This week, well, if Sunday's the first day, last week... last week I heard a woman speak at a memorial service and she said something I hear Christians say all the time she was crying her grandfather had died she asked to speak and she said this it brings me so much comfort to think of my grandfather standing before the Lord and hearing his words Well done, good and faithful servant. Haven't you heard that? Have you ever said it? You know the problem with that? It was the predicate which she led with. You know what she said? My grandfather was a nice guy. My father had a strong faith. My father trusted Jesus, my grandfather. My father had, my grandfather had all kinds of accomplishments. And you know what, G, what Paul would say? You don't understand the gospel. You don't understand the gospel. If you're saying that your grandfather is hearing the words, well done, good and faithful service, based on what he is and who he is and what he's done, you don't understand the gospel. The verdict is in. God will never say to any of us, well done, good and faithful servant, based on the strength of our faith, the niceness of our character, or our accomplishments. He'll never say it. He'll only say those words based on the accomplishment of another who is his son. Do you see what he's saying? It's all been done. Jesus has finished the work. And if you ever hear him say, well done and good faithful servant, it will be because Jesus has already heard it and he's given it to you. You know what that means? Every single blood-bought Christian will hear those words. The moment he rescues you, the first time, he loves you as much as he'll ever love you. The first time He rescues you. You are as complete in Jesus as the day you stand before Him. There is nothing you can do to add to His love for you or His approval of you. Do you understand the difference that that can make in your life? When you get that, do you understand why Luther said, we've got to preach this to ourselves every day that it is finished. Do you understand that? Paul did. And that's why I wrote the letter. That's why I can't wait to get way into it. Think about that. Amen.